What is God asking of you? What does the Bible say about His expectations? In this season of Fast, Pray, Do, we'll dig deeper into God's Word and learn how we can live beyond ourselves and truly live out the calling of the Lord. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. Good morning. You excited? Awake? Good. That makes you and not me. So, we had our annual Paladin Gala last night, and if you don't know what that is, Paladin Youth Sports out here in Santan, Queen Creek, is a uh, youth sports with a mission, and the mission behind it is to uh, serve the Lord and teach Christian values and teach who Christ is to the youth here in Santan Valley. And so uh, we do this annual event where we raise money. We raised over $40,000 last night for them. And uh, LifePoint Life doesn't do the event, but Paladin does, and I'm on the board with Paladin, Paladin as well as uh, Pastor Blake, and we just love the mission of what they support. So I knew it was going to be a late night, um, 2.30 is when I finally went to bed, and then was up uh, around 5.36, and so um, you ever do that when you go to bed, you know you've only got a few hours, and you're like, just sleep, sleep, and then your body's like, nope, I'm just going to lay here and think about all the things I could be doing. So that was me, and I knew I was going to be tired, but I want to talk about, I think it's ironic that what the Lord gave me to talk about last weekend when I was up north with uh, my covenant group, and I said, I, I really want to deliver this message. I want to deliver what the Lord showed me, and what he showed me was on rest, and so the Lord thought it would be funny if I delivered a message on rest on three hours of sleep, and so he's hilarious. In case you were wondering, is Jesus just hilarious? Yeah, he is. He is, and so we're going to talk about rest. We're going to talk about Sabbath this morning because Today, this weekend, depending on when you started, officially ends the fast, pray, do season. And next week, we'll start a series in the book of Nehemiah. Who was Nehemiah? What can we learn from his life? It's actually pretty exciting. I think you'll like it. And so as we came to this end, the question I was seeking the Lord on last week is, how do we end the fast? What do we do now? I've had the chance to talk with many people who have engaged in the fast over the last three weeks. I've gotten to hear what they're searching for, how it's been for them, a new experience, uh, just been great stories. And as I was up north last weekend, sitting in snow, believe it or not, uh, the Lord said, what about rest? You know, we're fast, pray, do. Every word that we've gotten from the Lord is we're going to do amazing things, not just pastors and staff, but all of you are going to get connected, get involved, start to do some amazing things right here in our neighborhood, and then in Santan and Queen Creek and Florence, larger, proper area. We're going to do a lot. We're going to see God do a lot through us. But the word the Lord gave me was, you won't do anything if you don't know how to rest. If you don't know how to rest, you will burn out before you ever even get started. If you don't know how to rest, you won't understand what it means to give out of an overflow and not out of a deficit. Nathan, this was the Lord speaking to me, not me talking to myself in third person. Nathan. If you don't know how to rest, you won't be able to lead. And so one of the things that as a, all pastors fight with is this idea of a Sabbath, uh, Christian pastors I should say, uh, oh I don't have time, I can't, every day there's something going on, there's meetings, it never ends, I've got to be prepared for the next week. You know Sunday comes around every week, don't know if you know that, but there's always a new sermon and it feels like it's just slapping you constantly. As soon as this one's done, I'm preparing for the next one. And 
you're in this place where you just say, a Sabbath is a great idea, Lord, but can I really do it? Anybody else feel that way? Anybody else have young kids and you already have tuned me out because you're like, oh, this guy thinks I could take a Sabbath with a two-year-old or a newborn. He's hilarious. That's cute. That's cute. And you know what? I actually, I actually read through the Bible to see if there was a clause somewhere in the New Testament that said, if you have small, annoying children, you are exempt from status, Sabbath taking. It's not in there. I'm sorry. I even checked the Pentateuch and I checked the uh, other non-canonized versions of the Bible. It's just not there. And here's the other thing about Sabbath. So I'll, I'll, I'll talk with people about tithes, right? Tithes and offerings. Well, tithes, the 10%, that's an Old Testament thing. And uh, if we choose to give, we choose to give. But that's Old Testament. You don't see it much confirmed in the New Testament. Okay. You know, we can argue about that later. We can talk about what the purpose of a tithe was later. But you know what? There is one Old Testament command which not only gets talked about, but gets constantly reinforced throughout just about every book of the New Testament, and it's the idea of Sabbath. It's the idea of rest. Jesus reminds us, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. We're not made because we need to worship it and glorify the rest. He gave it to us as a gift, that we would recognize it as a gift. And so as I'm thinking about this, the one-tenth, right? We give a tenth in our finances. That's the tithe. Well, what about one-seventh? That's what a Sabbath is. Did you know that? As my son reminded me because he's studying fractions in third grade, Dad, you know that one-seventh is more than one-tenth, even though one-tenth is a bigger number. That's, that's right, son. Good job. So, and then he proceeded, I would rather have one-seventh of a pizza than one-tenth of a pizza. That's my boy. That's right. And then I taught him, one day you'll want one-one-th of a pizza. And that's when you'll become a man, my son. So, uh, one-seventh. God asks for one-tenth of our money, but he asks for one-seventh of our time. Have you ever thought about it like that? But do we give it to him? That's an Old Testament thing. That's a, that's a Judaism, Judeo thing. Sure, we, we're supposed to find rest. God himself rested on the seventh day. Made man on the sixth and said, oh boy, I'm in for it. I better rest on the seventh. And yet we debate and argue in our minds whether or not we have time to actually Sabbath. And so as, as we prepare for this year, as we're still in the ends of the first month of 2018, the Lord said, would you challenge my people to Sabbath this year? You're going to do amazing things. Amazing things are going to happen at LifePoint, but you need to learn how to rest. And so we're going to be in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, it's not really known who wrote Hebrews, but most scholars today come to a consensus that it was most likely Paul because of the style of writing. But because it's not super clear, I'm just going to say the author of Hebrews as we move through it. And so in Hebrews 4, Hebrews 4 opens up in verse 1 with a therefore. And whenever a new chapter of the Bible opens up with a therefore, you have to ask, what's it there for? Well done. So let's go back into chapter 3, a couple verses. Let's look at 16 through the end to 19. And it says this, who provoked him? Him is God. When they had heard, indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses 
Aren't they the ones who provoked him? Remember that story? Let my people go, right? And then, uh, and then Clint Eastwood uh, walked across the dry land that used to, I mean, Moses walked across the dry land that used to be water. And then the pharaohs, they tried too, but then the water went and killed them all. And then God provided manna out of the desert. And then Moses hit a rock with a stick and it sprung forth water. And they were miraculously fed and had water. And then they said, you know what we should do? Let's worship a golden calf. Remember that? Sort of as a way to say, thanks, God, for all you've done. We're going to worship this thing. We threw all of our jewelry into the fire. So this is what uh, the author here is re- reminding us of. He's saying, remember, remember all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Verse 17. Remember with whom he was angry for, with them for 40 years? <laughs> I just love this writing. Remember how angry God was with them? Oh, yeah, we remember. We've read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great granddad would always read that part really loud. Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? Wasn't that generation that God said you will not see the the promised land who fell in the wilderness? Verse 18. And to whom did he swear that they should not enter his rest? Those who were disobedient. Those who chose not to rest would not enter his rest, which was the promised land. Verse 19. And so we see that they were not able to enter because of what? Unbelief. There it is again. Were you here last week, Pastor Blake? As he spoke on unbelief, the prior week I spoke on unbelief. This was cool because I was just planning on starting in verse 4 and the therefore bugged me so I jumped into 3 and looked to see what it was saying and that unbelief came up again. It just seems to be prevalent, right? The thing that keeps us from God's rest, the thing that keeps us from seeing God move mightily in our life, the thing that keeps us from trusting God in all situations, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Many different masks, but it's unbelief. Unbelief being worked out in all various forms of life. And so, now with that background, you understand what the author is trying to say as we get to verse 1. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, right, just because uh, the Israelites, a generation of them died in the wilderness, they did inherit the promised land. And then Joshua, you'll see here, is going to promise a future rest. Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. With faith. Now, as I read through this, it doesn't read, Hebrews is a tough book anyway, how it's written, but it doesn't read as a story. But what it's trying to do is it's going to show you the different types of rest that, that we as humans have, that we can enjoy, that we're called to have if we're going to live fruitful lives. And so I want to break this up to you because if I tried to read it straight through, he sort of bounces around. And so this first section is this idea that uh, they didn't value what was preached. They didn't value the rest that was granted them. You see, they were in slavery, right? The, Egypt, the Jewish people were slaves to the Egyptians. God sets them free. And what do they want? They want to go back to slavery. They even tell Moses after wandering for a few years, it will be better for us to just go back and be slaves. You see, when you're a slave, you don't get a Sabbath day. Don't know if you knew that. Your, your tormentors don't be like, ah, you've worked hard for six days. You just go ahead and take a day off. 
You know what? You put in a solid eight hours today, Bill. Good job. Good job. You take the evening off. No, you just get whipped more and put in another eight and then maybe another eight. It depends. And that's what they were. They were slaves. All they knew were slavery. There were generations that grew up in the Israelite community under slavery. And here God is offering them rest. But they want to go back to slavery. And so he says, for them it was of no value, for they did not combine what they had heard with the faith to receive it. Now here's the thing with us. Our culture does not celebrate rest, right? You can't name anybody in mainstream media who's known as a great rester. <laughs> this person just rests the heck out of it. No, we know people who are hard workers. We know people who climbed to the top because they never took a break. We know people who just worked and worked and worked, and now look at how, hard they, uh, how far they've come. But you don't see celebrated those who really took time every week and rested, who trusted in the Lord that he would take care of their needs, except for a few places. One of them is restaurants. You know the company Chick-fil-A? Much to my chagrin, they take Sundays off. Why do they take Sundays off? Because it's the Sabbath. They give their employees a break. They rest. Well, isn't that going to hurt sales? Every single one of your competitors is open seven days a week. It might hurt sales. Has it hurt Chick-fil-A sales? No, they've gone through the roof. One of the most profitable franchises there is in the restaurant business. There's a Greek Euro place right here on Bella Vista and Hunt. Again, much to my chagrin, when I'm driving home at the end of a Sunday, I'd love to stop in and get myself a delicious Euro and fries. I mean, just salad, but mostly Euro and fries <laughs> with cheese and ranch, but they put lettuce in it to make me feel good. But they're closed on Sundays. The owner's a Christian and believes in the Sabbath and says, no, we're going to be closed on this day. See, one of the truths of the Sabbath is this, that if we observe the Sabbath, we can get more done in six days than what the world can get done in two weeks, in three weeks. That's the promise. Would you understand? Would you trust? Would you have faith? Would you lay your schedule in my hands? Boy, this is tough for us Americans. Now, there are cultures that actually uh, do value rest. Uh, the Japanese culture, I believe, bakes into their day for their employees a nap time. Wouldn't that be delightful? Could you imagine if it was just all of a sudden a whistle blew and everyone just went to their lockers and pulled out a pillow and just laid down wherever they were? I mean, that happens here, but I realize that this is a different environment. But when it's 1.30 here at the church, if you come by, you're just going to find a bunch of sleeping pastors in the bullpen area or in these chairs. But I, that's not everywhere. I digress. But there are cultures that value rest. There are cultures that value that, that time to recharge. And here's the thing. Rest isn't just for your body. Rest is for your soul. It's for your mind. It's emotionally. And most importantly, what God's talking about here is it's for your spirit. It's for your spirit. See, the people, the Israelite people who left Egypt did not know how to rest. And because they did not know how to rest, even though it was shown them, even though God was instructing them, they went back to what they knew, which was a spirit of slavery, which was a spirit of being under the thumb of an oppressor. They wanted to go back to it. God said, fine, you can wander in the wilderness then until you die, if you will not receive my rest. I don't want us to do that. 
We live in a culture very much which wants to keep us working constantly, striving constantly, finding identity constantly in our work and our things and what we do. And they want to keep us in a place that's oppressed. Do you want that? I don't. I don't want that. So he talks here about what's it look like to get to this place. Verse 3. Now, we who have believed enter that rest. Just as God has said, quote, so I declared an, on oath in my anger that they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day God rested from all his work. And again in the passage above he says, they shall never enter my rest. God is reinforcing this fact and the, and the author of Hebrews is reminding us that this is what happens for those who stay in a period of unbelief, a period of a slave mentality. Verse 6, it still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through King David, as was said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua, Joshua again uh, uh, followed Moses as the leader of the Israelite people. He's the one who took the promised land and entered the promised land. Moses never did. Joshua had given them rest. For if Joshua had given them the complete rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Do you think that's just taking off from work right there? I want you to pay attention to that. This is an important part of 12 chapters here, and he's going to use the word rest eight times. He's wanting us to understand this idea of rest. It isn't just rest for our bodies. It isn't about just getting to a REM type of sleep, a deep sleep rest. This is a different type of rest, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work just as God did from his. On the seventh day, God didn't just rest, but he rested from the work of creation. Let us therefore, verse 11, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example, the Israelite people's example of disobedience. Now, in order to protect the guilty, I won't have anyone raise their hands. But who here, just think about it, observes the Sabbath day every week? And I'm not talking about the you can't press buttons or drive a car Sabbath day. I'm talking about a conscious effort to keep the Sabbath, a day in which you do not work, a day in which it's, you wake up at 9.30, 10 o'clock, uh, you don't get out of what you slept in, you eat grape nuts for breakfast, and watch reruns of ESPN classics, Right? I'm talking about that kind of a Sabbath day where you go outside and sit in a chair with no agenda other than to stare at the grass that really should be mowed, but it's your Sabbath and you're not going to. Anybody have that every week? Don't answer. Don't worry. My guess is most of us don't. My guess is we would love to have that. And even my guess is even me just talking about a morning like that made you feel irresponsible and a little bad for me that that was actually my last Friday. That grass should really be mowed. I'm going to go sit in the garage now and stare, stare out the front of it 
and do nothing until the children come home. And when they come home, I'm going to tell them to leave my presence. <laughs> they won't, mind you. They will continue to orb around me. We feel guilty when we rest. I have to fight feelings of guilt. I have to fight feelings of, oh, there's really so many things I could have done today. What is that? Is that from the Lord? No. He wants me to rest. He wants my mind to rest. That I may be able to give to others. That all of this other stuff we preach and talk about and everything else I read in this Bible about the kind of person I'm to be, if I'm to be an imitator of Christ, is to come from an overflow. Well, where does that overflow come if I'm constantly on empty? You ever feel like your cell phone battery, you watch that throughout the day, and then it gets into the little yellow, and then it goes red? And then you ever see how long you can keep it on 1% before it just shuts off? It's like a game, like, come on, get to, get to bedtime. And then I've done that. I've at 1% put it on the charger and just been like, I won. I got you. I used you all day, got you on the charger. I think we run our lives like that. I think we plan our day out and we say, this is my meeting. I got 7 and 10 and then noon and then pick the kids up and then they've got this and this and I've got a late night meeting at 8 with somebody and then an hour drive home after that. And when it's all said and done, I am going to hit that pillow with about 2% left. Perfect. And then sometime around 2.30 in the afternoon, you get a phone call. Uh, your kid's been suspended or they're throwing up or a friend's just lost someone they loved or an accident on the freeway now has you stuck in a hour-long traffic jam, and any energy you had, just your battery just went whoop, all the way down to zero. Some of you are looking at me and saying, buddy, I wake up at 1%. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? I wake up at 1%. That's a bigger problem. You should really be listening to what I'm saying than today. And the truth is we don't budget in time for those instances. We don't budget that time because we're always working out of a deficit. We're always working from behind. And what the author here is saying is make this effort. Would you understand that if you choose not to enter the Sabbath rest of the Lord, then you are choosing to carry your own faith. You are choosing to be a moral person, not a, not a child of Christ. Not a child, not, not someone who says, I have, I have a faith that is alive and active. Right? This is what the author's saying. And then closes with this. I want you to see this because everything up until this point is about the peace and the joy of rest. And then in verse 12, he's going to take a drastic left turn. And it's actually much more violent than the coffee mug scripture that it's become in verse 12, Hebrews 4:12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered, then laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. It's a pretty drastic turn, a double-edged sword that separates bone and marrow, soul and spirit. It doesn't judge your actions. It doesn't judge the flesh, so to speak. What's it judge? Your heart and your attitude. Well, those are things that only I know about. Those are the things that I keep close to the vest, my heart and my attitude. This is exactly what the author is saying. He's saying, that's what God looks at. 
He penetrates past all the facade that we put on, the actions we do, the charity we went to, all of the stuff, the devotional time we spent, and he gets to the heart and the attitude of why you are doing it. And I want you to see why this verse is so uh, damning, so to speak, to the human condition. Most of Hebrews harkens back to one book in the Old Testament, and that's Genesis. You can tie, the, the author ties so much of the account of Christ and the fulfillment of Scripture back to Genesis constantly. And he's doing the same thing here when he says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. What's the question the Lord asked Adam in the garden? I've, I've spoke this before. Where are you? Was he talking about longitude and latitude? Where are you, Adam, in the garden? Physically, where are you? No, he was saying, Adam, where are you? What happened? We had this communion with one another. We had relationship with one another. And Adam, I don't see you anymore. Where are you? And then he sees Adam and they're hiding and they've stepped out and they've covered their nakedness. Has this ever bothered you? Have you ever wondered why they covered their nakedness? It's not like they looked around and saw somebody else and were like, oh my, I should cover this thing up. There was no shame. There was no comparison. So why did they cover And so God says, who told you you were naked? Have you ever wondered that? Who told you you were naked? Shame told me I was naked. You see, when God created the world, the Bible says on the sixth day he created man, and on the seventh day he rested, because after he created man, he saw that it was good. It means it was complete. It was finished. We were in rest with the Lord. We walked... uh, Adam walked with rest. He walked with identity. He walked with confidence with who his God was. But as soon as he stopped wanting to know that God and instead be like that God, be as God is, knowing the difference between good and evil, we fell out of rest with God. And man has been searching for that rest ever since. We lost identity. We lost purpose. And we're trying to find it. We're trying to figure it out. And that's the human condition constantly. Find that rest that Adam had. And so when Adam and Eve step out of that rest, all of a sudden they look down and they go, oh my goodness, I'm naked. I'm completely bare, exposed to who got to God. And so they attempt to cover themselves because they no longer have rest. This is what the author is saying. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we will give an account. It is solely pride in our culture that says, I do not have the time or the capacity to rest. Now, I know that's, that's sort of a brutal statement. And if you're here with a young child or newborn or a single mo- mother, I know... I'm not saying it's easy. If it was easy, everybody would do it. But I'm also not saying that it's a request. It's actually a, it's a command. It's actually the fourth command in the Ten Commandments. And if you didn't know, the commandments go in order of importance. So it's actually more important than thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not lie. And yes, it's even more important than honor your father and mother. Why? Because a society built on people who do not rest will be a society that struggles with murder, with rape, 
with cheating, with lying, with stealing, and with dishonor. Because you have a whole society of people who have no foundation, no rest, and are constantly trying to give and be moral people out of a deficit, not out of an overflow. Do you see that? That's what happened to the Israelite people in the wilderness. They were people who did not enter into God's rest, and so they could no longer be grateful for the way that God supplied their needs, the way that God delivered them from slavery, and instead they went back to the only identity they knew, which was slavery. Think about that. Somehow, somehow over the last century or so, the church has looked at Sabbath rest as an option, as something that we can choose denominationally whether we want to or not. My encouragement to you is this. It's not an option. And so if you leave here today, my encouragement is to sit with your family or your spouse and say, what do we have to do to begin the Sabbath, to take a rest every week? Now, if you have young kids, it's going to be tough for you and your spouse to take a Sabbath at the same time. If they're in school, that's a great time to be able to do it. Pick a day, try to find a time to Sabbath. But if you work all week, then you say, hey, I've got Saturday, kids are home, then you and your spouse will have to trade off time. And you don't need to start off with the full day, but start intentionally with something. Two hours here, and let's grow it by three hours and four hours. Be intentional about it. Say, during this time, my goal is to rest. And that doesn't mean just go back to bed or sleep in later, which is fine too. But rest, rest your mind, rest your soul. Do something. If being in the garden brings you happiness, do that. If putzing around with woodworking or a hobby is, just brings pleasure and you never have time for it, it's that thing that you never have time for, do that. Rest your mind. Don't go to the golf course, though. That's not rest for anybody. And it will just make you angry, and you will be a worse person for it. But the point is, something that brings rest and joy, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. It's not a request. If we're going to be a church that does, fast, pray, do, then we have to be a church that knows how to rest. Because in our rest, we demonstrate faith that God's got us that even though we could be taking care of these chores or making this money, I would rather rest here with the Lord for this period of time and trust Him in the other six days as I work and I, and I do strive and, I, and, and I'm doing, right? I mentioned earlier, so I'm, I'm on third service, three and a half hours of sleep right now. I, I'm doing this not because I might fall over, but here's what's really cool. As tired as I am physically, I knew, and this is what the Lord showed me when I, when I knew that I was going to be preaching this weekend and I was going to be up late last night doing the gala, that because I Sabbathed on Friday, because I woke up after nine, I ate my grape nuts, I watched my ESPN, I watched the grass grow in the backyard, and I just rested, I am sharp spiritually, emotionally, and mentally this morning. And as tired as I am physically, I am completely sharp and in control there because of the Sabbath. That's how important the Sabbath is. It's not a promise that you won't ever be tired. But I am able to give this morning. I am able to be present this morning because I'm giving out of an overflow and not a deficit of my physical tiredness from last night. Does that make sense? That's the promise. That's what God's calling you into. 
My hope is that you will take the challenge this week. You'll find time this week, even if it's small, and begin to intentionally Sabbath with the Lord. See what he does with that, okay? Let's pray, and then we'll take communion and worship, and we're closing third service out with some incredible baptisms today. So, Heavenly Father, help us to know what it means to rest, a culture driven on success and those who work harder than others needs to learn what it means to rest. Perhaps we don't need more laws to deal with the problems of drugs and murder and rape. Perhaps we don't need more drugs to deal with the depression and anxiety. Perhaps what we need is rest, Lord. True rest, Sabbath rest. That we're a country of people advancing technology quicker than any civilization, but we're more tired, burnt out, and worn down than any civilization before. God, help us in that. Help us just right here locally, Lord. Submit to what it means to rest, to have the faith, and say, God, I don't know where I'm going to find this time, but I'm taking it anyway, and I'm giving it to you. Would you bless that rest, Lord, and those who choose to take it this week and the weeks following? In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take communion here. We've got three stations up front, three in the back. And at LifePoint, we practice open communion, which means irregardless of your denomination, if you have a relationship with Christ, uh, we invite you to come forward and partake. If you don't, we invite you to come forward and talk with one of our prayer partners. They'll be up here and right over here on either side. And here's what I want you to do with the prayer partners this morning. If you're hurting, if you're broken, if you need uh, anything, come up and talk to them. But even more importantly, if this morning the Lord spoke to you and you just said, I don't have time, I would love to do what the pastor said. I would love to find time to rest and Sabbath this week. Then I invite you to come forward, grab the hand of one of the prayer partners and say, would you pray and ask that God would show me the time that I'm to Sabbath this week? Be bold. Step out. Be courageous. Ask him. All previous services, there's been people coming forward in lines of people who say, I want that rest. I want that kind of rest. I don't know how to get it. I don't know where I'll find it, but I know I need it. Would you come forward and do that? And then we've got, uh, you can come forward as well and partake of communion. Communion. Is one of the few sacraments we have as Christians. It's the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, the bread and the juice. And when Christ, up in the upper room with his disciples on the night he was betrayed, took of it, and he said, this is my body broken for you, and my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you gather together, do this in remembrance of me and take and eat. And so to spend some time in reflection as you partake this morning and we'll close with worship and baptism.